welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It's good to see you here at the end of this week that's been nothing but discourse. And also joining me, Eric Van Allen. I cut all my hair off this week and no one's noticed yet. Now I feel uh, No one noticed sad. me either, Eric. Oh, Don't no worry about noticed. it. I, I cut a lot of hair off. This is like six, seven inches that came off at the hairdresser the other day. <laughs> it was a lot. So, uh, yeah, I'm just saying, start, you know, maybe my, my fellow hosts have seen me go through many different hairstyles. So that's one thing. But stars of destiny. Y'all hurt me. Y'all hurt me a little deep. Uh, very dapper today, Eric. I really I like try. that haircut. I actually very like well having done. shorter hair. It's just I also like having long hair. So, Well, folks, we got a lot of news to cover this week, including E3 being canceled, the delay of Breath of the Wild 2, and brand new PlayStation Plus details. It's been completely overhauled. We'll be talking about all of that, including the usual Untitled Eric segment, Nadia's Nostalgia Nook and or Pit, and the Top 25 RPG remake 2022 intergrade we'll be getting to all of that in just a moment but before that got a little bit of housekeeping if you enjoy the show thank you very much please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia's at nadia oxford and eric is at cmoosey s-e-a-m-o-o-s-i we also have a patreon patreon.com slash pod it's the beginning of a new week it's the beginning of a new month, I should say. And that means yes. that we have a brand new Pantheon episode coming out this week. It's going to be Valkyrie Profile, and we'll be joined by our old friends Christina Rose and Kim Wallace to break it all down, to be talking about Valkyrie Profile, my favorite RPG of all time. Nadia will be there, too. Nadia, how much have you played a Valkyrie Profile? I'm curious. Uh, you know, I'm actually playing through it right now, and I'm, uh, I was actually going to talk about it with our uh, what we're playing, I suppose, is a good place to start. Because, yeah, I've been playing a lot of Valkyrie Profile this uh, little past time. And um, I do have to play on my phone because I had tried to get the PlayStation emulator working. And I just I, I couldn't get it to run properly. So I said, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to bite the bullet, take the phone. And it's not bad. The phone adaptation is good for what it is. I mean, and the game itself is is excellent. I totally agree with you on that front. I'm having a great time with it. I am having a little bit of a scatterbrain time and that am I doing the right thing? And I think I am. I think I'm kind of adjusted what I need to do, build up my heroes and then get send them to uh, Asgard, get them out of my hair because they whine too much. Uh, so I'm doing all that and I'm having a, a really good time of it. It reminds me of the second half of Final Fantasy VI when you are kind of on your own searching for friends and recruiting them so that you can take on the big bad at the end of everything. As no, I know it's not quite like that, but the structure does remind me of that. And I think it's a, gosh, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing because it's like there's all these scattered story segments that look like they're really cool and interesting, but I forget about them and then something else happens and I don't know if everything's connecting properly, but I'm still having a great time, so I don't know. Well, I'm glad you're having a great time. There's somebody in our Discord who's a big Valkyrie Profile fan and they're actually remastering valkyrie profile too which i think is oh, pretty cool wow. that's really awesome yeah. definitely want to look into that uh the phone's not ideal but it's definitely better than a broken playstation emulator i do have to say i appreciate being able to skip things because you could not mm. skip anything in the playstation version yeah i believe they were the ones who said hey cat actually the phone version of valkyrie profile is good 
So I guess it got upgraded and everything. So it might have been like, yeah, yeah, it might have been like rebuilt a bit. I do know there's no controller support or very quote unquote limited, but I couldn't get any controllers that I had to work with it. So that was a disappointment. But it's very much like one of those classic instances where Square put everything they had on mobile and kind of forgot about it as the operating systems upgraded. So they never really bothered implementing Bluetooth or anything like that. In addition to our Pantheon, which was available to all users for $10 a month on patreon.com slash pod, we also have an update on D&D. Yes, we are doing it. We got up to the $6,000 level and we crossed that threshold and we've been planning in the background. We had a meeting with our GM, Shivam, just yesterday. We're going to be doing it on April 17th. We've uh, we laid out our concepts for our characters, and we are going to be going on a quest for the axe of the blood god, the three of us. It's going to be a one shot. It's going to be lasting from 9 a.m. till whenever it gets done. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll be live streaming it, and everybody will be welcome to join us on this stream. So mark your calendars, friends, April 17th. And finally, we have our final update on the Acts of the Blood God, March Madness, which has been going on for the past month. It's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of competitions. I'm very salty about Ichiban being knocked out before his time. That was mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Eric had an unreasoned <laughs> hatred of Adachi for some reason. Oh, it was very reasoned. It was very reasoned. <laughs> <laughs> And we have a final result. I'm curious. I know that y'all haven't seen it yet. Who do you think won between Tara and Kefka? What do you oh, think, think Nadia? Kefka for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was Kefka. It has to be Kefka. With 56.4% of the vote, oh. the winner of the Acts of the Blood God Heroes versus Villains bracket is Tara. Tara. Oh, really? Goodness wins. defeated Kefka. The hero wins. The heroes have vanquished the villains. Our mad clown friend is not the winner. I'm surprised. I would not have picked Tara. Mm-mm. Be Mm-mm. To I'm a little surprised too. I, I thought Tara would lose because I thought Ichiban was the true. See, Ichiban should have been the one to rise victorious over Kefka with his wholesomeness and his bat. I'll stand he by that. He's the perfect foil for Kefka, like from what you know, what I know of Kefka, is that Kefka's whole thing is non-existence and misery and nothingness, and Ichiban is the opposite of all that, like just persevering in the face of everything, no matter how bad it gets. So that would have been a really fantastic foil right there. Just a great face-off. Thanks to everybody for participating over the past month in our bracket. It's been a lot of fun. We had a great time, and thanks to Eric for doing a lot to make sure that this got off the ground and made sure that it all happened, put the bracket together, helped me out with everything on that front. So yeah, it was a great fun, great community challenge. Thanks to everybody for voting and participating. Y'all are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do this again next year. I I don't know. Like we should come up with a good topic for next year. I've, I've already got my, I think I've already got my topic for next year. I don't know if I want to say it yet, but uh, you should say it. What is it? We'll forget it next year. It's all good. I think the sidekicks and companions need their spotlight. I think you're right. uh, 
I think that it's time good. for the VVs and the dog meets and the garrises of the world to get their time in the spotlight. That's an interesting idea. I guess we could, or we could just do console RPGs, something like that. <laughs> but we'll do it in a year. We'll see you again in a year. But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about what we're playing, our sacrifice to the blood god. And I will start because I haven't been actually playing anything, but I am starting something next week. It's a new project. And if you're in the Discord, you have already maybe seen it um, under the channel that is titled Persona 3 This Week. I'm calling it This Week in GeckoCon High. And I'm going to be playing a day-by-day playthrough of Persona 3 Portable starting on April 6th, which is when the calendar technically begins. And it will just be going day by day. And I will be presenting an update here on the podcast about what has been happening this past week in GeckoCon. So please look forward to a year's worth of Persona 3. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Here it comes. Yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. uh... Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I'll be joining in myself, I think, because I've never played Persona 3. I'll be participating, too, because, uh, yeah, I've I've gotten about, like, two-thirds of the way through Persona 3 a couple times now, and I'd like to finally <laughs> close it out, so. You've never uh, finished it? No, I always get to the part where, like, you, you recruit Aegis. I don't know what it is about, like, that section of the game that I just kind of slow down and, and take it easy, but I'm going to bust on through this time and finally finish this game. I have also never finished Persona 3 Portable. I've gotten very far in it but katie in particular has always been insistent mm-hmm. that it's the mm-hmm. best one i've always been slowed up by the fact that there's no real definitive version of persona 3 i was wondering about that mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i mean i've got it on my playstation vita downloaded it a long time ago i've made a lot of progress in it i still have a fair amount of affection for it so i feel like this is the right chance i thought about doing persona for or persona 5 royal but I haven't even finished the regular Persona 5 yet. And God knows, we've talked about Persona 5 enough mm-hmm. on this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, review episodes and the Pantheon episode. Go listen to all of those. We've also talked plenty about Persona 4 with the uh, Persona 4 report that Nadia did. So it's time for Persona 3 to get its time in the sun. Mm-hmm. I agree. Nadia, what are you playing? Well, I already mentioned uh, Valkyrie Chronicles. Uh, so, no, sorry. Profile, not three profile. I am going to be doing that all all of next week. I'm really sorry. <laughs> all of next week. Next week, given that we are recording the podcast on Monday, Nadia. I'll still be doing it after that, I'm sure. It'll, it'll <laughs> never stop. Am I doing the right thing where I'm like uh okay, so I use the I use the um the power to look for recruits and look for dungeons and stuff like that. I find my recruits. I go in the dungeons, I kind of build them up, and I shove them off to Odin, and I'm doing the right thing, right? I don't know. I I don't know if I should tell you. You (laughs) you should not tell her. You should not tell her. All right. That's fair. Did you ever play Pyre, um, the the Supergiant game? No, I always meant to. Yeah, Pyre has kind of a similar thing where you definitely are supposed to have, I think, a rotating stable of characters and never get too attached but also this is one of those games like we were talking about with rpgs that have multiple endings the other week valkyrie profile has a lot of different branching paths and stuff That's so true. uh i think the first run it's better to not know not knowing okay. is part of the experience 
Oh, okay. So that's fine. It's, I'm okay. It's mm -hmm. okay to be a little bit stumped is what you're saying. Absolutely. You're All supposed right, to fine. feel that emotional friction. That's part of the experience. Perfect. Okay. So I'm on the right track then. So besides that, which I'm enjoying, I am playing more Elden Ring because I can't stop. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't know where I am in terms of completing the game, but all I know is that I got to the Atlas Plateau and a huge ass dragon landed in front of me. And I was like, I know how to deal with you, dragon. But I ran up to it and it has hands. And it used those hands to make a spear of lightning and throw it at me. And I'm like, nope. I turned right that's around. That's dragon right there. Yeah. <laughs> Once a dragon has hands, uh, that's a special thing I'm not really prepared to handle on a uh, mental or a gameplay level. So <laughs> I'll come back to that. But I'm not dealing with the dragon with hands right now. So I went, uh, I'm in a stuck in a hole somewhere. I'm mm -hmm. having a great time. And uh, I need to get back to tuning up my Final Fantasy 14 character because we are coming into the, uh, into the new stuff. We're coming into the mm -hmm. new raid. We're coming into the new beast quests. I saw a really adorable gif of one of the elephant people throwing an orange to a hippo and the little hippo ate it. And it was very cute. It's mm -hmm. going to be really fun. Mm -hmm. But for now, I'm stuck in a hole in Elden Ring. I played a pretty good up. Uh April Fool's joke on Eric and Nadia earlier. Really gotcha. Cruel. Cruel. <laughs> Can't believe you did this to us. And I was like, I'm back in on Final Fantasy 14. I'm going to totally play it. And they're all like, hell yeah. Cat's in here. I'm just like, April Fool's gotcha. It's the only good one. Mm -mm. Anyway, mm -mm. Eric, what are you playing? Uh, I'll, I'll make a quick note. We could talk more about like Charlie and dropouts or something, uh, if we want to talk deeper, but like I finished Stormblood plus all the post Stormblood patches and played the first part of Shadowbringers, not first part, but like the first quest where it kind of tells you, Hey, here's what the deal with Shadowbringers is going to be. Uh, and first of all, good Lord, I, I had kind of an inkling about where it might go, but ended up being nowhere close. Uh, but Stormblood is a really good expansion that waits until the end to be really, really good. That's kind of like my yeah, final closing thoughts for those of you who have been following along in the podcast. Uh, it really more than even Realm Reborn, like waits to the end and then cashes in all the chips in those post patches. And those post patches might be some of the best 14 content I've played so far. It is very, very good. Oh, it's a long wait. Uh, but the thing that I actually do want to talk about this week in depth is Weird West. I reviewed Weird mm. West uh, for Destructoid.com. And uh, what a weird game. What a weird thing that exists somewhere at the intersection of immersive sim and Fallout 1 and dark fantasy western that feels almost nostalgic fish out of water sort of but also like pretty fresh and interesting i had a hard time figuring out where i was with this game because it is for those who don't know it's it's a western fantasy uh top-down isometric uh i say rpg but also has a lot in common with your immersive sims so like a deus ex uh it's from former arcane uh founders i believe the the one of the co-founders and then the creative director on previous arcane stuff uh it's their debut project and it's 
it starts out really slow where you're like a bounty hunter. You're kind of hopping between different journeys, playing as different characters uh, with a larger meta narrative, tying it together. And your first one is you're a bounty hunter. You're doing Western stuff. You're hunting down somebody who's kidnapped your husband. And so you got to dig your irons out of the back and, and put them back on and, and strap up and go save your husband. And uh, it's good. There's like some monsters. There's some, you know, fantasy elements, but it's pretty bog standard. And then the second journey starts and you're a pig man. And <laughs> I saw those screenshots. I was wondering about that. I, I cannot stress enough how much I love this part of Weird West and how it came to embody everything that I like about Weird West. Because those of you know, I like Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And one of the things I like a lot about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is, is how different playthroughs encourage you to play and see the game in different ways. So if you play it as a Torador, it's going to be completely different when you play it later as a Nosferatu. And the Pigman is the Nosferatu of the Weird West. <laughs> you can't go in towns because you're a giant pig beast. <laughs> you like, can, but it won't go well, I guess. will try to shoot you. <laughs> I love the first town you go to. The sheriff's like, look, you're a talking pig, man. And I like that. It means you got some brains up there. And because you got brains, I'm going to tell you, you got to turn yourself around right now and walk out of my town because I'm rounding up a posse. If we see you again, you're going to be carried out of here. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. So I had to do this whole thing because I needed some information from the town. So I had to go sneaking through the woods and suddenly all those fables I had heard about when I was playing as the bounty hunter of pigmen sneaking around town and waiting on the edges of the, the city and all that made so much more sense because i was like oh i'm living this now this is cool my resource like selection was completely different because i couldn't sell to vendors very easily so a lot of things that were useful to me as a bounty hunter you know junk that i could sell or ingots that i could turn into the bank weren't useful to me as a pig man but what was useful to me as a pig man was all the weird fantasy stuff like ectoplasm from ghosts and stuff like that because i could sell those to the wanderers because they didn't shoot pig men <laughs> and so um it it does some really really cool stuff like that and if you're a fan of immersive sims you know your deus exes and stuff like that or especially if you're a fan of like fallout one or two i think this is like the closest thing we've had in a long time to fallout one and two in terms of tone, in terms of setting, in terms of writing. Uh, this is like that sort of realm with a little bit of immersive sim tossed in. So like it does have, I like someone called it uh, cause there's a whole discourse about what is an immersive sim. And someone said, it's the bucket problem. If you can solve any problem with a bucket, it's an immersive sim. <laughs> and there was one point where I tried to stack barrels and crates to get over a fence and then realized that I could have just thrown something to hit a button and, and I would have gotten through. Um, <laughs> it's on Game Pass. So if if you if this sounds interesting, you should try it on Game Pass, preferably on mouse and keyboard on PC, because I played some of the PlayStation version and it runs great. But controller just doesn't feel right. Uh, but Weird West has some ideas. Maybe falters near the ends. I thought the ending did not wrap up as neat as it could have. And they didn't spend as much time on some characters as I would have liked. But the Pigman section. And then right after that is you play as uh, an indigenous person of the Lost Fire Nation. Who's hunting a spirit of greed called the Wendigo. Which is really, it's a great story. And then 
uh, after that, you play a werewolf, and all the werewolves are Catholic in this world. Father, forgive me for <laughs> everything. It's great. You're like, oh, the father of the local Spanish Spanish mission is like turning people into werewolves so that they don't die from terminal illnesses. Like that's what werewolfism is in this world. Is they're like, hey, what if? instead of dying from some sort of plague or disease that we can't solve with normal medicine, we just turn you into a werewolf and now you're immortal, but you're also a werewolf. And it's very, very smart in that way. Sometimes I think in other ways it falls a little bit short. It is buggy, but it's on game pass. You should give it a try. Uh, that's my weird West pitch for the week. I think it is definitely one of the more interesting games to come out so far this year. It sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, I've been seeing reviews of it that's ki- that are kind of mixed, but people are mm-hmm. saying it's mm-hmm. very ambitious. And I think it's important to have those games that, you know, they might be sevens out of tens, but overall they still prevent- present like really cool new ideas that are just yes. fun to, to play with. Yeah, it is definitely a team's first outing. It is buggy. And like I said, and not hollow in the Stars of Destiny chat points out that first bounty hunter story is very bog standard and is that way for a reason it needs to like kind of set some expectations that it can then start turning on its head when you get to the Pigman story i'm telling you get to the Pigman story Pigman, mm. where it's at i love Pigman. <laughs> he's great he's a terrible person but that section of the game was definitely like my favorite part of that game by far reminds me a little bit of the second shovel knight game where you played as mm. plague knight plague of shadows mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there's that moment where you walk into a town and you're like, I'm in town. Everything will be fine. And then you immediately get chased out because you're Plague Knight. You're Plague Knight. <laughs> yep. I can't yep. go into town. And I was you're like, not and the second that. that happened, I was immediately in. And then, of course, you go down into the secret layer and everything. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's great. And the music is terrific. And... I think I have to think that when they were making the Plague of Shadows DLC, which they released for free, mm-hmm, they were like, mm-hmm. oh, it, but it makes no sense for Plague Knight to just walk into town and sell stuff. We got to, of course, got to have something else. And then it just spun out of control from there. I, it was he also has that really remix. adorable sequence where he dances with. I can't remember mm-hmm. her name. The chick he has mm-hmm. it for. They're, they're a really cute couple. Uh I love games that do that, like Pathologic, Vampire, The Masquerade, Bloodlines, like anything that takes your expectations of a world and then turns it around. And like you're still operating within the world's bounds. Like you you are still aware, like the world is still working as it was. You're just a different character. And now you're going to see that that character you had before had it pretty darn good in life. And now you're playing as a character that has it pretty darn bad in life. And you're going to see what that looks like, too. I love that stuff in video games. There's actually one game that that did that really exceptionally well, and very few people know it, is Mega Man Legends 2, where you're always Mega Man, but you Mm -hmm. can be a huge asshole and just destroy things, kick around animals. Uh, Once you start kicking a pig, you won't won't ever stop, I have to admit. And the worse you are, like your armor turns black eventually, and everybody hates you. Like Merchants will deal with you, but they'll scold you, they'll raise their prices, They'll they'll tell you off and uh, roll like you can tell roll off too if like she she confronts you at one point and says I'm so worried about where you're going and you can tell her oh leave me alone you old busybody or something like that and just completely (laughs) destroy her and then she raises her prices like crazy too and to get absolution is very very expensive as I learned the hard way once again I I started kicking a pig and it kind of got out of control. So, yeah, I just love the fact that the game took the time to implement that, to implement that dialogue and to have the people 
look down on you even though you're technically saving them they they the the game experience does change quite a bit and and you can have access to special uh black markets that you can only get to if you are a jerk otherwise you can't get to them so it was a really really undersung game for for many reasons the the phrase absolution is too expensive like i'm picturing you like martin luther <laughs> nailing it to the wall <laughs> like absolution is too much in mega man legends 2 <laughs> And it's like a million gil or something, or zenny rather, that it takes. It's not cheap. Being forgiven of my sins is too much. <laughs> Makes me think of Jedi Knight, the original Jedi Knight for PC, where it had a dark side meter, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it was hidden. But if you went around shooting droids, which you totally could, and just generally making things bad and killing civilians, you would go to the dark side mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So you needed to mind your business so you didn't end up doing that and sometimes i accidentally did go over to the dark side without even really realizing it and whoops when my I hit- lightsaber slipped this, this bodes <laughs> so well for someone's D&D campaign because <laughs> you'd get to a point in the game where it would have the check whether or not you went to the dark side or the light side but it wouldn't let mm-hmm. you choose right mm-hmm. so i would kind of brace myself and be like did i accidentally go to the dark side Okay, thank God I went to the light side or whatever because that's the good ending. But if you went to the dark side, you could shoot lightning, so that was cool. That's exactly. okay. You get it's the cooler lightning. side. That's a good trade-off. Yeah. If you played Kotor, you know dark side's where it's at. So I've got Weird West on my PlayStation Five, and I've been meaning to play it, but mm-hmm. I have not had time to play video games this week, uh, except for Kirby. A little bit of Kirby. So Kirby. A little bit of Kirby. how is it? Yeah. I haven't played it yet. Oh, oh my God, Nadia, you have to play Kirby. You have oh, I will be. Kirby. Like, I'm going to be playing it. Yeah. Yeah. It is sure. such a you game. I think it looks that adorable. You, will, you will just play it straight through and you will have a dumb smile on your face the entire time. <laughs> it is. I always have a dumb wonderful. smile on my face, Kat. <laughs> it has the biggest, it has the best physical humor that I've seen in a video game in a long time. It's mm. hilarious. I just love Kirby so very much because he is an elder god who chooses not to be an elder god. He just wants sandwiches. He could destroy us all. He has many friends who want to destroy us, but he's there's a reason why he was the only survivor in that Smash uh, cinema where everyone mm-hmm. died except for mm-hmm. him. And now for a series of random encounters. Pokemon Go Fest is returning on June 4th and 5th in Berlin, Seattle, and Sapporo. Persona 5 is being released for the... It's not being released. It is being removed from the PlayStation Plus collection in May. So play some Persona 5. Maybe maybe this is a good excuse for me to finally finish it because I have it on the PlayStation Plus collection. Oh, no. Uh, I better (laughs) better get get moving, Kat. I already downloaded it, so I think I'm okay. Oh, you'll be all right. I'll look into that. A One Piece Odyssey RPG is headed to PlayStation, Xbox, and PC, not Nintendo Switch. And I'm curious, are y'all One Piece fans? No, nope. never. <laughs> really? I tried it. Had a roommate that tried to get me to watch it. Was like, don't worry, it gets good after 100 episodes. And I was like, that's too many episodes to get good. That's no, no, something else. So I don't know. This this RPG looks neat, though. I might try it. Bleach was that game for me, by the way, or that mo- that show. And yeah, I watched. I, I never. 
I watched like 150 episodes of that show, including the filler arc, like the 60 episode filler arc. It was a thing. I, uh, for me, that anime was probably uh, My Hero Academia. Just couldn't get into it. What? No, that's so good. It's so good. From Sorry, the t- Okay, we're going to talk about this later. We'll finish Random Encounters. <laughs> we're going to talk about this in the post show. <laughs> Elden Ring's the Elden Ring Speedrunner Wars continue with a sub 20 minute run and Fallout writer Scott Benny has died at 61. He was the one responsible for naming dog meat. Rest in peace. But our top story E3 has been canceled. It will not be happening this year. The summer schedule has been thrown into complete chaos. Y'all reactions. Chaos. Start with you, Nadia. I mean, Jeff Keeley was just there on the corpse, dancing on it in two seconds <laughs> oh, flat. God, so he, we all know. Didn't he do the? <laughs> didn't he do the smirking emoji or the? He did a little smirking emoji. <laughs> it's like, so he he just kind of snatched that body up and just carried it off into the air. Don't worry, we'll be seeing lots of like summer game stuff this year. But the death of E three is has me very mixed because by the end E three was really a gong show. And after the leak, the journalist uh, leak, that was such, mm. there was just no coming back from that as far as I'm concerned. And the ESA never showed the proper amount of concern for that happening. They never showed the proper amount of concern for loot boxes getting out of control. So I'm looking at E3 and as much as I will always love it for remembering like that show I covered in 2006 where The Witcher was some like basic ass game in a corner nobody knew about. I can't say I'm too sorry to see it go because by the end it was just like, come on, guys, you don't deserve to be standing up anymore. I'll miss it. I will miss it. Yeah. But yeah, now there are so many conventions. There are there's packs. There's there's any number of anything. No, it's not the same. same, But I mean, heck, you and I, of course, and Eric, I'm sure. Well, just the hype of those those press conferences and like being disappointed inevitably. It was always (laughs) It was. I was. I was disappointed. Was there was always at least one big thing that everybody would be talking about afterward. It was. I have fun. to say that um, going back to the fact that I covered 2006, that was the height of E3. That was no E3 will ever touch that because that was the year we got Nintendo just busting out of the gate with the Wii and the Super Smash Brothers brawl reveal and holy shit, here comes Snake, and then Sony became like. It made so many memes that still exist because it had such a terrible, terrible Mm -hmm. performance. Mm -hmm. Ridge Racer. Does anybody hear the words Ridge Racer anymore and not think immediately, Ridge Racer? No. Same with Giant Enemy Crab. You can't see a giant crab in a game anymore because Mm -hmm. E3 2006 Mm -hmm. happened and you lose your shit. So Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. admire the fact that I got to be part of that. That was history. I'm very glad that happened. See, that's I, I want to identify two things about E3. The first one is what y'all were just talking about. And the thing that I will genuinely miss is the spectacle. Because PAX, everything else does not have the ridiculous bumbling spectacle of it all. Where everything was either amazing and incredible like Keanu Reeves walking out to introduce the date of cyberpunk and then like the clip of him like check this out and like people started editing in like Sonic and Tails kissing and stuff like that like that's like E3 was a a a cultural moment that that brought everyone together to laugh and ridicule and meme and get excited. And I think there is something to be said about that. There, there You're is, right. it was a giant commercial. And 
I've seen a lot of takes about that that are like, oh, you're lamenting the death of advertising in video games. And like, yes, E3 is a giant commercial for products that will be available this coming holiday season. But it was big and stupid, like the Texas Rodeo. <laughs> and that's there's something beautiful in that. I, I don't care what anyone else says. I loved the spectacle of it. But I think the other thing is that for people in the industry, going to E3 was like a feeling of validation. The first right, time I, I went to E3, I paid my own freaking way to E3 for a site that did not pay me to cover it. <laughs> I spent my dime and all I got was a press pass and some bylines. Uh, and I still remember walking through the doors the first time and seeing the hustle and the bustle and the giant, you know, these elaborate stages that everybody had the Nintendo breath of the wild area. I still remember vividly. It was incredible. And like sitting down and working on a preview in the press room and, and like just being like, I I was like, I've done it. It's so easy, especially in pandemic era right now to think like, this is what the world is. And when you're working at home, when you're a nobody who's just kind of typing on their laptop, hoping you're going to get the job one day. Now you're at the same place that everybody who has the job is. You're all working it. You're all doing the job. You're all putting boots to the ground, getting to the next interview. You're in a rush and you feel like you have, you've made it. You are there. And that is a feeling I do want for everybody in this industry who comes up in journalism after me to have at some point. And with E3 gone, we don't have that anymore. Like PAX is not the same. So I am bummed for that, for those people. Uh, That being said, E3 has been dead for like a year. This isn't even like, this is honestly just putting it out of its misery at this point. like last last year, it was just a, a forum. It was a forum with Picru avatars that I and several other people actively trolled. In. <laughs> uh, look, they made a forum that said like health and safety, and we just kept typing in there. I love video games, and they had to close the topic. And I like to create problems where I can. All right, <laughs> but jeez, Eric, there was some moderator in there who was just going, "Please stop." Please, I don't, I'm just doing my job. Because, I mean, for, for a little, like, peek behind the curtain, like, there was nothing that was happening E3-related last year. Like, at that point, people were reaching out to us us directly as journalists. They were just contacting us. They are like, oh, right, we have your emails. Do you want to, like, join a Discord and watch the preview or do a remote preview or do an interview over Zoom or, like, all the things that we used to be able to do? We just did remotely and they interface with us directly. And the same with Nintendo. Nintendo has been doing direct. Sony hasn't been doing E3 in years. Like a lot of people are past the idea of the ESA's E3. And so mm-hmm. in comes now it's Keeley's E3. It is the summer game fest. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Keeley was apparently saying in a Twitter space today that he still wants to do some sort of in-person thing this summer. What that looks like, I have no idea. But uh, it's... E3 as we knew it has been long gone and ESA didn't adjust to the pandemic and certainly didn't adjust after leaking our personal info. So yeah, (laughs) it's uh, I'm sad, but this is, this has been coming. If they didn't bring it together this year, that was going to be it. So on the one hand, the industry does not need E3 anymore. 
because the industry, the games industry, has truly gone mainstream. And it doesn't need that moment where it has the spotlight shining on it. On the other hand, it also needs E3. Because there was no other event in the entire calendar year that was ever as big. Ever. That was the moment when all eyes were on the games industry, mainstream media, everybody. And it was a party. It was a coming, it was a homecoming kind of thing. And it was big and it was dumb. And it was based around commercials and advertising and everything. But it was a moment. And I am going to miss it. Of course, the last good one was E3 2018. Once Sony left, it kind of became a bit of a bummer, I think. I would say the last good mm-hmm. one was with the reveal of uh, Death Stranding. And everyone lost their minds. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. And the thing I remember most from that is somebody edited the Norman Reedus bit with him ha- hugging a baby. Everyone took that screenshot and edited, like, uh, I think a crash uh, Skylander had been revealed. And that was all that Crash fans were getting at the time. So someone edited Norman Reedus hugging the Crash <laughs> figure and crying. <laughs> and that to me was the last good E3 because that was pretty funny. Didn't, yeah, didn't Eric edit the going into the baby's mouth and there was a Fraggle Rock button? Turned into, turned into Fraggle that Rock. One. That was uh, Hideo Kojima retweeted that one and it's now my pinned tweet on my oh, profile. Oh, I didn't know he retweeted that. Congratulations, <laughs> you've made it. Every, every E3, I managed to get at least one viral tweet and that was really my goal at the end of the day was to be a professional e3 shit poster so really like everything i've done is on <laughs> congratulations <brand. laughs> you've made it i'll mail you your certificate let me get my crayons yeah i, I don't know e3's e3's going the way of the dodo and even you know once you know live events come back i do i think there's probably going to be some sort of large gathering in june like the timing makes sense the window makes sense i think there's definitely still a reason for that to happen but the big question is, is the ESA still going to be involved when that happens? And that's that's what I'm less certain on. Uh, Keely is going to take it over. Yeah. He's Keely. circling like a buzzard. Big Keely oh, buzzard. Yeah. Like I said, he dove down and grabbed it. The, <laughs> the summer game mess takes over. Pretty much. That's where Did we you say are. summer game mess? Or summer yeah, game that's, mess. that's what Grub always calls is the summer <laughs> game mess. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I'll make a prediction. I don't think E3 is coming back next year. Or I don't if think it does, it's coming back it, ever. If it does come back, it'll be this really kind of much smaller event. It'll basically be irrelevant because I don't think that the ES- ESA has its act together enough to actually put on a show. So I I mean, come on. Like they they just have not shown that they really know how to run an event over the past few years. So I think that in one way or another, Jeff Keighley is going to take over. He's already laid the groundwork and Nintendo and Sony and Xbox will continue as they always have because they can just put on a they can just put on a press event anytime they want. And everybody's going to pay pretty much of it. So I, RIP I just, E3. No. I've had many good times <laughs> at you. My first ever E3 was at 2009 when they revealed Milo and Project mm-hmm. Natal. Oh, that was such a disaster area. That was amazing how bad that was. Oh, oh, that was you'll wonderful. never see failures like that again, unfortunately. That's the one bad thing about this all. <sighs> it was great. The, the car crash. E3 2013, which I was not at, but when Sony just took the Xbox One and basically threw it in the garbage bin <laughs> to start up the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> One dunk after another. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever watched. 
on a stage, being able to watch a live orchestra playing the Zelda medley. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was cool. 2011, mm-hmm. back when Nintendo still did press conferences, mm-hmm. holding the Wii U controller and going, this isn't so bad. Okay. You talking about E3 gaffes has resurrected an old beef of mine from oh, US no. gamer days. At E3 2019, the last E3 I went to, after the Square Enix presentation where they showed Marvel's Avengers and they all looked terrible, I tweeted an image of of the Avengers and then an image of the body doubles from Spaceballs. (laughs) And you did the same tweet after I did it and got more social engagement than me and I still have beef about it. I would too because yeah, got, you got your joke stolen right out from under you. My own boss just took the joke out from under me and was like, I can get the numbers on this. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> did I do that one? Was that me? Oh, oh, you did. You did. Don't play innocent. Come on now. <laughs> Here's why I did it, Eric. Because, because it you was could. funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a fair explanation. I, I'll chalk that up. Also, I like Spaceballs. I like Spaceballs. It, it's a classic film. I don't think you were even born when Spaceballs came out, right? No, but so I grew totally up watching weren't. Mel Brooks movies. I, I saw Blazing Saddles I way too it. young. You should all watch Airplane. Now that's new. Oh, Airplane is a wonderful a lot more film. engagement than you did, Eric. I'm sorry. You you did. You Twitter's did. a rough place. It is. Look, it's a rough and tumble, and sometimes you know you win, and sometimes you lose. But uh, I I was salty because my own boss did it. <laughs> While E3 was canceled, it's probably fine because Breath of the Wild 2 will not be coming out in 2022. 2022 is officially canceled, y'all. It's over. We can all go home. We already got Elden Ring. It's fine. But no. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2, Eiji Aonuma came out and said, y'all don't deserve Breath of the Wild 2. You don't get it. (laughs) I'm taking this all from you. Y'all gotta start behaving yourselves. I'm turning this game around and I'm going home. I'm turning it back to Winnipeg. Going back to Winnipeg. I love the fact that he got dressed up for that announcement. That's such mm-hmm. a Nintendo yeah. thing. That nice hair. Japanese. Nice hair. Yeah, nice hair. It looked good. He had we were nice talking about on. haircuts during the pre-show and how nobody yeah. noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he mm-hmm. looked good. Um, I'm kind of relieved, to be honest with you, because I was just like, oh, Jesus, don't let me choose between Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild 2 for my game of the year. So, okay. Okay. We're good. So it's not like I don't have other things to play as well. So I'm a disappointed, but not angry disappointed i can wait i can wait and i think this is going to come out on the cusp of whatever nintendo announces next for their hardware i mean that's that's what this has done right is it's stirred up a new round of switch Two speculation because now they're like oh they're delaying it so that's gotta be when switch 2 is coming out and they had to back up the switch 2 and of course i mean there was already theories that it was going to get backed up because pokemon's coming out at the end of the year and i was wondering uh, about that I don't think that was the reason, but I do think if you're Nintendo and the Zelda team walks up and they're like, hey, we need some more time. And you look at the schedule and you've already got like a big old Pokemon right there in the holiday season. You're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) We're good. You can take some time. It's all good. Yeah. Spring is a good time to release it as long as I get another spring like we did this this year. I honestly think that Breath of the Wild 2 for Nintendo has been a bit of a... um, Maybe not a learning situation, but like 
this compared to other games where they have had relatively short turnarounds between reveal and launch. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about it. It seems like they're kind of waiting until a game is pretty much like good to go before they're even talking about it. Yeah. But Breath of the Wild 2 got talked about at E3 2019. It was the stinger. And uh, we've been waiting around for it and listening for updates ever since. And I think uh, after this one, they might be a little bit more. Okay. We wait on some announcements now. <laughs> I think, though, the pan- the pandemic probably slowed them down a bit. I think that's yeah, the main yeah. problem here. So yeah. I can't really blame them for it, maybe revealing a little too early. I absolutely think that it was the pandemic. I also mm-hmm. think that the scope of the game seems to have been growing. It seems like it was much more of a maybe a simpler concept when it that's was initially revealed. First. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, it seemed like the, uh, I mean, they have the sky, right? And also in the ground, that's what Aonuma said. So it's going to be even bigger than the original Breath of the Wild. And I just wonder if the the scope of the game just kept growing and growing and growing to the point that they were like, okay, this is crazy now. Mm-hmm. Anuma mentioned something about, you're right, the sky and the land. And maybe I misunderstood, but I think he said there's something else you don't know about. I'm thinking it could be underground. You actually see in the first tra- trailer they're underground. So who knows? I think it's a so huge this, ass game. I'm yeah. also curious if they I know when they first started the game, they were very open about what they were inspired by. And that's one thing I always loved about Breath of the Wild is they're always talking about what games help them kind of inspire where Zelda should go. And they mentioned that they were making Breath of the Wild 2 with RDR2 in mind. And I thought that was really fascinating. I wonder, I mean, I'm sure most of the development's done. They're just polishing at this point. I, I would hope so. I wonder if they implement anything from Elden Ring. I wonder if anyone at Nintendo's playing that and saying, oh, wow, okay, this is Breath of the Wild, but they have some really new, interesting ideas here. Let's uh, let's swipe a couple. When that happens, it's the worst nightmare for any mm-hmm. game development team. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because oh, a producer, the worst producers are the ones who go and play Elden Ring over the weekend mm-hmm. and come in and mm-hmm. go, hey, y'all, I've got I was a just list. playing Elden Ring and I think that we should put in all of this stuff. And people go, mm-hmm. oh, no. <laughs> what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Let's take away maps. Nobody wants maps anymore, right? That's the lesson we're taking from this. Nobody wants maps or markers. Uh, you know, we kind of like a, a few of them. You don't have to. Nope, nope. No more maps, no more markers, no nothing. I mean, to to the team's credit, I think Breath of the Wild was already doing a lot of stuff that Elden Ring also does. And I, I would think that, like, if anything, it could. I remember talking to the, was it Jedi Fallen Order team around the time that, that they were doing it. This was E3 2019 as well. See, look, we just keep coming back to it. Uh and I brought up Sekiro because Fallen Order had a lot of like focus on blade combat and stuff like that. And Sekiro had come out and I was like, were y'all looking at that? Were y'all checking out? And they were like, look, sometimes you're working on a thing and you're looking at a previous studio's games and you start getting inspiration. And then all of a sudden they put a game out and it's got a lot of the stuff that you were working on. And you just got to go like, well, great minds think alike, I guess, because sometimes that is the case where they're not directly trying to lift things but everybody's kind of thinking in directions and every you know some teams get on that same track and other teams don't and uh i would think that would be a breath of the wild 2 thing where if there's some overlap with elden ring it's probably more that but i think there's some at least storyline wise princess mononoke influence with yeah, the, the thing the, that the he's got with going on with You're his right. arm and all that i mean look i love princess mononoke is like a top five movie for me so 
the second I saw Link with like a corrupted arm, I was already on board. I was very, very happy. So uh, I'm interested to see what they do storyline wise because the Zelda sequels or the Zelda follow-ups are ones where they kind of get to expand on a thing, your Majora's Mask and your Link's Awakenings and stuff like that. Right. Are where the stories always get really weird and interesting. And so that's why I'm really hyped for Breath of the Wild 2 is a weird, dark Link story. Well, in the meantime, we learned a few new details in like the 20 seconds of new footage that we actually got to see. Among them, the Master Sword is apparently broken. Just yet another weapon that is broken mm-hmm. in Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. You gotta recover all made, your power-ups. Yeah. I've made that joke like three times across various shows now. So and I'm just gonna keep doing it because it resonates. Because people Because Nintendo was like, hey, we heard you hate broken weapons. Well, guess what? Now the Master's <laughs> Sword is broken. F you. <laughs> also, there's a golden glow which suggests that Zelda will be your companion, possibly disembodied and possibly ah. linked. To the master I sword. I hope not. I, would I hope hate she's not disembodied. That. I mean, I loved spirit tracks so much, probably more than I should. I did kind of like the, the disembodied Zelda thing there, but it's been done. Make her playable. Yeah, seriously. I was ready. I was ready for the co-op. Zelda, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, think of Ocarina of Time, where Zelda is gets to be chic and gets to be doing stuff out in the world, and like let Zelda do things. That, that's I like action Zelda. Pitch. Yeah. Action yeah. Zelda's awesome. Mm-hmm. I actually really like playing as her in the uh, Breath of the Wild Mosu. What was it called again? Uh, oh, Champion uh, Age of Calamity. Yeah. Age of Calamity. Yeah. She had some weird ass attacks going on, but it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. She uses her iPad to swipe on people. Yeah, she throws <laughs> her iPad at things people. on them. It's real good. I, I'm right swiping and erasing you. <laughs> exactly. Zelda's playing Tinder with the enemies of Breath <laughs> of the Wild. <laughs> oh no, my confidence says I'm Oblin. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. And we broke Eric. <laughs> Has to happen at least once a week. This, this big bacoblin like, oh. <laughs> oh, my heart. I swiped left again. <laughs> <laughs> Beware the Slimes posted a gif of Fee from Skyward Sword, which everybody's very excited to see back. That's the, the companion that would not shut up. One of the most annoying companions in... Zelda history, if I recall correctly. So it was a lot better possible. when in the remake or revamp, rather, that they let you shut her up. They let you yeah. stop. So after that, she was great. She's a great character. Did have a good theme. Dr. Horror is correct. It's a good musical theme, but also like the idea of what if the Master Sword had Cortana is not a great idea. How <laughs> <So. laughs> said that Breath of the Wild 2 will be tied in to Skyward Sword and of course, Skyward Sword is all about the forging of the Master Sword, right? Well, if Breath of the Wild 2 is about the breaking of the Master Sword, you would have to think that lore-wise, the two would be tied together. So it may be that they went and tied a lot. They went and pulled a lot from the worst 3D Zelda. I think that Skyward Sword had one of the better stories for Zelda. I think that Link and that Zelda are really cute. I think they're perfect together. And I think that the world was interesting. I was maybe a little disappointed and you hear like, oh, the humans live above and the demons live below. And they're like, oh, cool. We're going to go down to like a post-apocalyptic Zelda wasteland. But no, it's just uh, the first thing you see, just some Goron with a map looking around. You're like, oh, this isn't very post-apocalyptic at all. But I got to, I got to really 
fall in love with the world eventually. I think it was a, a world full of a lot of great personality. Just maybe the gameplay uh, was not quite as tight as it could have been. Too much collecting. It was a lot of collecting. My question for you before we move on to the next segment. What does this mean for the holiday season? Is 2022 ruined? Is this it? What do you think? What do you think, Nadia? Canceled. Start over. Canceled I think 2022. It'll be fine. I, Pokemon's coming. I think Nintendo will do a lot better next year than they would have done this year. I mean, not to say po- uh, Zelda wouldn't have dominated everything, but going up against a Pokemon game, that's that's quite a decision to make. And we'll be fine. There's always going to be lots of surprises by the end of the year. There's always that end of the game that surprises you. For now, Elden Ring's still kind of dominating the the discourse. Final Fantasy XIV's always going to have its updates. So mm-hmm. we'll be fine for the holiday. I'm I'm actually kind of glad that pokemon will be unencumbered like that what about you eric yeah i i look at it and i'm like it's a bummer because now we don't have as strong of a narrative of look at how stacked 2022 is but at the same time look at how stacked 2022 is yeah. if we can push one game out to like a good old spring release date and make that a problem for spring 2023 eric that that sounds great you know i'll have starfield to play i'll have pokemon to play I'll have, like Nadia was saying, whatever other indie game comes up in December that ends up being a smash hit, you know, Neon White's hopefully coming out. Yeah. All right. That's coming out this year, too, isn't it? Yeah. Assuming it keeps its release date. I wouldn't be shocked if it got pushed right into Breath of the Wild, too. (laughs) Push it all into that March window again, you know, really just make March the yearly chaos month. Star uh, Zoo Batman was wondering if Starfield will keep its 2022 release date. I absolutely do. Because mm. for the most part, the Fallout and Skyrim games, they take a long time to come out. But when they finally set a release date, they generally stick to them. Mm-hmm. I think that Starfield will be coming out on time. I would not be shocked if God of War got delayed. No inside mm-hmm. knowledge or anything. It's just that between Horizon and whatnot, like they just seem to get delayed because they mm-hmm. want to get them right. And don't blame them necessarily but i think that nintendo still has um a few games left to reveal for this year including mm-hmm. potentially another fire emblem we'll see when e3 comes around so yeah i think it's this, almost that time this, yeah exactly so i think this holiday will still be pretty stacked but at the end of the year we're all going to be talking about how elden ring was the best of the year it's going to be pretty tough i think so to be honest with you i've not seen a game hit as hard as Elden Ring since Red Dead Redemption mm-hmm. 2. Yeah, okay. I was just okay. thinking about that today. I, was I thought you were going to say you, didn't, you haven't seen a competitor yet for Elden Ring, and I'm playing a game right now that I think might be giving Elden Ring a run for its money, in, in my person. Uh, it's already are you, about are you being facetious? No, no, I'm serious. I'm playing Norco right now, and I really like this game. I'll probably be talking about it next week, but Norco, which is out now, this is an embargo or anything, but... I think there's competition for Elden Ring. I'm not going to immediately sign Elden Ring into the top spot of the year. There's still plenty that can happen. We're talking about a generationally great game, Eric. I look, it ain't over until the bell rings is all I'm saying. In five years, we'll be talking about Elden Ring still. In 10 years, we'll still be talking about Elden I'm not, Ring. I'm not saying Elden Ring's a bad game. I'm saying that there are plenty of amazing games that come out. I declare this year over, Eric. It's it done. Ma- 
imagine back in 2019, you were like, oh, I don't know about this Disco Elysium game. Could this possibly hold up against the AAA releases of the year? And then Disco Elysium comes out and you're like, oh, it does. It does. We'll be talking about Disco Elysium for the next decade. What minimum. even came out in 2019? I don't remember. Fire Emblem Three Houses came out in 2019 because that was my number yeah. one and two right there was Fire Emblem Three Houses and Disco Elysium. Hades, was a 2020. I barely remember what came out, except for Disco Elysium, which was amazing. I'm curious now. I I know Three Houses came out that year, but like 2017 and 2018 were like back to back bangers. And yeah. then I don't remember anything that came out in 2019. Yeah, I, I guess Resident Evil Two Remake came out that yeah, year. Yeah, Resident Evil Two was that, that was year. Wasn't 2019 yeah. Final Fantasy Seven Remake as well? No, that was 2020. Was that 2020? That was 2020. Okay, that was because that, okay. that was the start of the pandemic, as I recall. Yeah. Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds was 2019. Another fantastic indie game. I just remember 2020 or 2019 being really grim for traffic because just nothing was coming out that was actually hitting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, was a uh, good times. Good times. Let's go. Oh, back we to picked Control. Everybody picked USG Control as the best game of that year. Control was a good game. But yeah. Disco Elysium was the USG pick. And I will say that every year I've gone Stick back and it. looked at what picks we had, yeah. we've been on the money. We've been on the money. Yep, 100%. Uh, though 2018 had, um, what, what was that game? Oberdin? I think that could have been a game. Uh, that, was that was 2018. Was, was yeah, that's why I said 2018. Yeah, that yeah. was the year of Celeste and that, that Monster Celeste. Hunter and RDR2. Uh, that was Odyssey as well. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Looking back, I might have picked Celeste, honestly, for 2018. Celeste was mine. Yeah. Yeah. Celeste was incredible. Oh, and it so still good. holds up. The, the expansion made it even better. So, well, I will personally look forward to Breath of the Wild 2 playing it in the spring because it means that it won't distract me from Starfield, which is my most anticipated game for the rest of the year. So, I don't. So, actually they, they mind delayed it for you, Kat. They delayed it for you. Yeah. They did me a favor. So thank you, Nintendo. I appreciate it. Our final topic, Sony is completely overhauling PlayStation Plus. Earlier this week, details were announced saying that we would be having three tiers in PlayStation Plus. Um, There would be an essential, extra, and premium tier. Essential would be basically the same. Extra will feature a catalog of 400 PS4 and PS5 games. It can be downloaded anytime you're a member. And then there's the premium tier, which will feature PS1, PS2, PSP games, and PS3 games, which will only be available to stream, and that will be out for $17.99 per month. That's Sony saying, hey, nerds, you want your retro (laughs) games? Well, here you go, $17.99 a month, pay up. So I'm curious, will Sony's PlayStation Plus revamp be good? Are you planning on investing in the essential tier? What do you think, Eric? I think it's really going to come down to what they offer and if it's a good offering. I mean, PS3 games being streaming is kind of a bummer uh, for a lot of people who live rurally or have data caps and stuff like that. Um, Whereas like downloading, you know, a PS1, PS2 game, that's nothing. Those things are so small. Uh, not that I know from experience, but <laughs> it's um, it's it's also like this is them saying, oh, you should try PS now. Right. Because that's basically what they're doing is they're smushing together PS plus and PS now and saying, like, you should really try PS now because 
I mean, it's kind of a Game Pass competitor, but it's it's got to have a catalog. If this thing doesn't come out the gate with some really good exclusives, I mean, obviously for our, you know, listenership and, and even outside that, just for my own interest, I want some good PS1 RBGs on there. I want some niche stuff. I want things that are expensive to buy on the market right now. Bring back Suikoden. Bring yeah. back Suikoden. Suikoden 2 is playable on the PS Vita through that PSP version and all that, or however that magic works in the back end. I mean, it's still there as far as I know. I think it's, I think it's not there because of the store or something. It's 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 all screwed up. I don't know how to navigate the store anymore in terms of retro stuff. Yeah, but it's not on my download list even. I don't think. Oh, shoot. I'm glad I need to come out the gate with stuff like that. Cause if they come out and they're like, here's the PS one classic, you know, the, the, the set top box thing. If it's just those games and then a bunch of stuff that was already on PS now, who cares? It's easy to play Metal Gear Solid these days. I don't care. I forgot about the PlayStation classic. What a letdown that was. Yeah. I mean, I I don't care about the PS three, but I do care about being able to download PS one and PS two PSP games onto my PS five. If I can play uh, final fantasy crisis core on my PS five, that's a, that's an absolute win. That's mm-hmm. an absolute mm-hmm. win. Otherwise, mm-hmm. my plan for now is to get PlayStation, the higher tier with PlayStation 3 games. I'm going to play Tokyo Jungle, then I'll cancel. Unless I have a good reason to stay. But I'm like, all right, time for Tokyo Jungle. I think it's also arriving kind of late. And by that, I mean, there are a lot of subscription services this these days. And so it's not even necessarily where it has to have as good of an offering as say, you know, a Game Pass Ultimate or something does, but it has to consistently have that offering and do so at a cost of $18 a month when you are already paying for Netflix and HBO Max and Paramount, Hulu, whatever else you have streaming, like our lives or subscriptions now. And sure, you're probably sharing subs with a lot of people, but still $18 a month. As much as I don't think the Nintendo Switch Online expansion thing has been hitting like it should be, at least that one's a at little bit more moderately. Cheap. Yeah, it's a little bit more moderately priced, whereas $18 a month and it's for one account. So I don't think this is a family plan sort of situation. You have to be paying up that much every month. That's basically saying, like, do you want to pay $20 every month to play whatever games we decide to put on this catalog? And so that's why I say, like, they've got to have some games and they and not just games up front, the games over time. And that's always the killer is are they going to keep that catalog updated and interesting over time? Or is it going to be a bunch of games out the gate and they're just going to forget about it? Because the other you know twist of this is that I believe they said uh, PlayStation exclusives like big PS5 games won't be day and date on this service. Uh, the thing that's like day and date on the service is like trial versions of these games, yeah, like demos yeah. that you can play. So I, I don't know. I look at that and I'm like, Game Pass is giving me a little bit more and I've got a million other subs and yeah, maybe, but you've got to give me something good here, PlayStation. So let's see Sweet it in. <laughs> <laughs> Show up with it. Give me Jean d'Arc. Let's let's get real oh, deep God. with the cuts let's here. Really all do, right. Let's do some real deep cuts. I'm into it. I'll buy it. But that's mostly because this is my job to be able to play all of these games. And the more accessibility I have to all of these classic games, the better. I like that even though 
these games will not be available right out of the gate uh, with release. We will be able to play a lot of these games, you know, over time. They'll have like Miles Morales and Returnal and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I think that they had to respond to Game Pass, but at the same time, uh, they went a little milk toast, I think, with this offering. So I think that I think Xbox is a bit leaner. All things considered, I, I think that they don't have to really compete with Xbox if they don't want to, because they're still top of the game by far. You still can't find a PS5 anywhere. You you go out there and find a PS5, cat. Good luck with that. The gaming historian just t- today was bragging about he, how he finally got one. Mm-hmm. I have an update, by the way. It's important. I can get Sweet in Two. It's on my down list. It's on my download list. Yeah. That's just Sweet in Three, actually. So. What I want is to be able to get all of these games just right onto my PS5 anyway, because they already exist <laughs> on my yeah. download list. I bought them a long time ago. It's time. Come on. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. I really I really want that. It's time to, to make it easy to put these games that I own on a system that I own so I can play them. Yep. Are there any RPGs in particular that you would like to see as part of this service? I have an easy answer for you. Hey, how about putting Valkyrie Profile on here? Our Pantheon yeah. game. Mm-hmm. The original nope, PlayStation okay release. Legend of Dragoon, I think, would really merit inclusion. <laughs> if they don't put it on uh, there, that's a weird decision because there's a lot of nostalgia. It's right there. Sony can do it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of PS1 RPGs, like RPGs especially. I mean, even us non, like non-Blood God folks who still get nostalgic about the PS1 days, they're getting nostalgic about that. And like maybe twisted metal and then they play twisted metal for five minutes and they're like oh wait no this isn't as good as i remember it being and <laughs> they go back to the really RPGs. badly yeah. <laughs> oh god oh well, obviously <laughs> they made a mistake they're not playing twisted metal black exactly ah. twisted metal black is where it's at that's uh, the best one yeah no it's all about tekken they gotta put tekken one two and three on their tag tournament even i think playstation 2 games PS2 games are going to be a little rough on that thing, unfortunately, unless they have some ways to kind of smooth things out and everything, because PS2 games tend to look pretty bad on HD televisions, Mm. unfortunately. PlayStation Plus is getting completely revamped. We'll see how it goes. And now, Eric, are you going to be talking to us about April Fool's Day? Yeah, April Fool's Day sucks, y'all. It's bad every year, and it continues to be bad today because most of the jokes I saw out there were just, I saw Twitter being like, ha-ha, we're going to add an edit button. Wouldn't that be funny? And Twitch being like, ha-ha, we're going to have a section where people just chat to each other in text boxes. And I'm like, dang, is the April Fool's that those are actually good ideas and you wouldn't do them because you don't make good choices? <laughs> but uh It's I don't like April Fool's for a lot of reasons. As a news writer, it's annoying to me because every single press release is somebody like trying to pretend like they're being serious and then also telling a really bad joke in the process. To be fair, I did see some good fun April Fool's jokes. Uh, Incorrect box art did a bunch of really good ones. I think there was one that was Final Fantasy X, but with like a picture from one of Dolly Parton's albums as the box (laughs) art. And uh, that's great. That's real good. Uh, but I wanted to shout out two. I'm shouting out two uh, April Fools because the first time when I wrote this, I had only seen one really good April Fools, and I saw a second one. Uh, 
Yeah. By the way, Normandy FM, we did have a good April Fool's today because we converted our account to an Ashley Williams Stan account <laughs> in honor of <laughs> Kenneth Shepard, who loves Ashley Williams and will leave Caden on Vermeer every time. Uh, so well, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I, back up. So Kenneth likes the space racist. No, 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 no. That's the that's the joke. Is that Ken? We we both dislike Ashley Williams, but oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And specifically Ken romances Caden every time he plays Mass Effect. I got it. Oh, uh, I get it. I get yeah. the joke now. Yeah, you get the joke. You did um, it. A short my favorite version of April Fools is when somebody is making a video game and then realizes that it would actually be a good idea for a video game and then releases it. So the developer of a short hike released a short hike 99, which is an unofficial mod. You have to actually mod your game to do it, but it lets you play a short hike and explore the world of a short hike, which is a really nice summer camp vibes game. If you've never played it with 99 other players on a server. And I had so much fun this morning, just hopping on top of people's heads and flying around and throwing sticks and stuff. It was a good time. Uh, and then the team landfall that did cluster truck and totally accurate, uh, totally accurate battle simulator released a game today called nightfall, which is it's you play as one of a pair of nights. So 20 people are in a match and you get paired up with one other night. One of you rides the horse and the other one like sits on the back and you have to go race to the rows and there's like a day night cycle. So you have to get to villages to hide in the villages because it gets cold outside during the night and you will die if you stay out in the cold and you're competing with other knights who all have revolvers who can shoot at each other. (laughs) But the most important part is that you're racing from your start point to village, to village, to village on a horse that can drift. And when I tell you that you have not lived until you have been drifting on a horse, firing a revolver at other knights and blaring a bugle it's incredible. It's a beautiful game. It's free only for April Fool's. So if you're listening to this on the free feed, I'm sorry you missed it. It's now $6 on Steam, but it's free on April 1st. And Stars of Destiny, y'all should check this out. I was playing it today. It's so much fun. Uh, I like stuff like that. I don't like it when studios like Riot are like, haha, what if we made a dating sim for our games? And everybody's like, yeah, that'd be great. Why don't you do it? And they're like, just kidding. That's a dating sim. Who would make one of those? It was a joke. That sucks. Oh, that does suck. Did they do that today? No, they did that last year with Valorant. Oh, Um, okay. And they got rightfully dragged for it. So April Fool's Day, uh, support good indie developers that release cool, awesome, fun games and support people who put Dolly Parton on the front of Final Fantasy box (laughs) arts and be mad at people who make fun of visual novels and support your visual novel developers. That is my soapbox for April Fool's Day. I mean, let us not forget that April Fool's Day, I can't remember what year it was, but there was the t- year Google did the Pokemon search and that turned into Pokemon Go. And uh, that was pretty incredible. Same with the year that they put, uh, they made Google Maps into kind of a Dragon Quest style map. That was a, that was awesome. I love that. But where the slides points out that like a dragon was largely influenced by an April Fool's Day joke. Uh, that's the funny part is a lot of people are like, wouldn't it be wacky if we did this? And then they do it and they're like, oh, that's it's actually a great actually idea. really good, idea. good idea. We should probably do that. And I know that some companies probably do like test balloons today just so that if it doesn't go over well, they can be like, never mind pulling that balloon April back down. Fools. It was a joke. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, a great way to just do anything. It's just April mm-hmm. Fool's. Just do a test balloon. Come out mm-hmm. as queer. 
Oh, April Fools. They were doing over well. <laughs> Pretending to play Final Fantasy 14. That kind of thing. You broke my heart with that cat. You broke my heart. <laughs> it's time now for the Top 25 RPG Remake 2022 Intergrade, the segment in which we add four more li- games to the list of potential nominees to be added to our Top 25 RPG Countdown. There was an interesting uh, inquiry, actually. And uh, forgive me, I do not know who actually put it on there. I'm not doing my due diligence, but somebody suggested on the Discord that we have a top 30 instead of a top 25. What do y'all think? Should we do a top 30 instead of a top 25? I think I'm running out of games. I'm putting you on the spot. Well, yeah, number one, I I had a moment today where I'm like, I'm running out of RPGs that I would nominate for this and still feel like I could really argue for them to be on this sort of list. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of RPGs still out there, but I think I am starting finally to hit a point where I'm like, but is this a good enough RPG to really argue for it? Um, But the thing I will say about a top 30 is I like the idea But I also like the idea that was floated way back at the beginning of this, which was, should some games ascend? Like, should they become just unimpeachable? We're never going to take them off the list. They would just be easy, number one. Like, we wouldn't even think about it. Should those just ascend into an upper stratosphere? And so maybe, maybe we don't do a top 30, but we pick five games that get to ascend and just be un- unimpeachably good and no, they, they live there forever. Out. I think I think 25. we could find bare minimum three games on that list that none of us would argue should shouldn't be on that list. Like, but, are sure. any of us gonna say that Chrono Trigger is not going to be on this list? Chrono Trigger has already ascended. I mean it yeah. won yeah, the, I think so. it won March Madness too. No, it's it's going to be on the list. Final Fantasy VI is going to be on the list. Witcher Three mm-hmm. is going to be on the list. It's just Earthbound. how it is. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. don't, don't speak too soon on Witcher Three. Uh oh, spaghetti. Witcher Three is going to be on the list. That's one I'm not saying. I would argue. Well, I could argue against it. I could argue against it if I had to. If and you look, wanted to, if you, are you are you doing this because I said that I was going to play Final Fantasy fourteen and I didn't? Is that is that why you're doing this, Eric? Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to make me upset aren't you all right well let's pick four more games to add to the list and i'll start with me um i'm adding a super robot wars game to this list because you can't stop me (laughs) and the super robot wars game that i choose for this list is the best one super robot wars z released on the playstation 2 in 2008 it defined the latter days of Super Robot Wars with its style. It had a lot of fantastic deep cuts on its roster. It had a gigantic roster, had two separate campaigns. It was absolutely beautiful. And it did a fantastic job of connecting the series' past to the series' present. It added a lot of quality of life issues. So much to find, so many secrets. And also, it was pretty hard. It was a very deep RPG, all things considered. Love the story. I love the original units. Love the villains. Super Robot Wars Z. If I were to pick one, it would be on there. And here's the thing. I'm not being facetious with this pick because I think Super Robot Wars is genuinely an impactful tactical RPG series. It's not just about anime nonsense. 
It is a huge part, a driving force for the mecha anime robots games. It deserves to be acknowledged. So therefore, I choose Super Robot Wars Z. I apologize to the person who's inevitably going to say, but you should pick Alpha Cat. No, Z. That's the one I would want to play. That's the one I'm going to pick. By the way, you should too should play it sometime because it's actually pretty good. Nadia, what's your pick? I went with a bit of an unusual pick today. I actually think one of the most undersung action RPGs of all time, and yes, it is an RPG still because you up, you up your stats, Crystallis for the NES by SNK, which is a, uh, first of all, very unusual developer. A lot of people are still saying, hey, SNK, give us Crystallis too or whatever, and well, they haven't. But it's a um, action RPG very much in the vein of Zelda, but it also... I don't want to. I don't know if I can say it introduced that leveling up mechanic to action RPGs, like I mentioned earlier. But it certainly was a very uh, prominent add to the genre. You wake up; it's a futuristic setting for one thing. Well, kind of futuristic in that, like the world's ended and you are kind of waking up in a post-apocalyptic world that's rebuilt itself to a more medieval style. It has a very, very, very Miyazaki vibe. Like it is outright just. Uh, not the Valley of the Wind, I'll say that much. But it's really adds some very interesting stuff to action RPGs, like um, leveling up uh, uh, elemental-based weaponry, spells, uh, a pretty really cool, interesting story for its time. Great music. It has a really fantastic soundtrack. It's just a very um, unassuming little RPG that went on, I think, to inspire greater things like uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, Secret of Mana, that sort of thing. And it was kind of that in it's a, in a more ambitious form with a more ambitious story. So I don't know. I think it deserves to get a spot on the Pantheon. And how about you, Eric? Uh, mine, I don't know if it's controversial or not. It's definitely lesser known. Uh, I'm, I'm nominating Lisa the Painful this week. Uh, what this is, is Lisa the Painful? It was nominated in the top 25 RPGs as well. Um, Lisa the Painful is a an indie RPG part of a trilogy of uh, RPGs. This is the second game in it. The original was based off of uh, Yume Nikki, uh, which is a very old uh, Japanese indie uh, RPG. But um, Lisa the Painful is, uh, to put it best, it is about a dad, a surrogate dad who is trying to do right who has done bad his entire life, who is trying to be a good father in a land that is evil. And it is in that vein of earthbound alikes where it is going to subvert a lot of the things you expect from an RPG, but in ways that are much darker (laughs) than most other places go to give an example. There's uh, there's kind of a character that hounds you throughout the story. So the setup is that you are a, uh, you have adopted a child uh, a baby girl in kind of a children of men situation where there are basically all men left in the world. Uh, and you, she is disappears one day has been kidnapped and you go looking for her. And as you're building up this party, you're going on an adventure, very low on resources, like resources are at a premium in this game. Uh, and there's this character that kind of hounds you all the time and, and is like, you're a bad person. Why are you trying to do anything good? You, you suck. You should stop. And so his gang catches you at one point and says, hey, look, I'm not a bad guy. I'm going to let you go, but you got to give me something. So am I going to kill one of your party members or am I going to take one of your arms? Now, 
losing losing one of your arms means that the way you input attacks for this character in this game means you will have fewer attacks for your own character to use in battle. He won't be able to use certain attacks because he only has one arm now. So is that more valuable to you? Is a party member more valuable to you? Or are the items at one point, maybe he says, look, I'm going to take one of your arms or I'll take some of your items, all your items and items are valuable in this game. Very valuable. Uh, And you can plead with him. You can ask him why that's happening. And he's just going to laugh and take both. (laughs) And (laughs) it's, it is a very dark, it's a very experimental game, but I think the things it does really made me start to think about RPG systems as storytelling in a way that uh, has like influenced a lot of my RPG critique moving forward. It made me think about how the mechanics we use are not just inputs that we select on a menu, but something that can speak to that character that can speak to the story that you've had so far. And that I've kind of seen reflected now in other games. And I notice when games are doing it better, at least of the painful really makes you aware of that stuff that there is an interplay between narrative and mechanics that uh, can be really meaningful and can reflect a story that has choices and determination in it. So I think least of the painful has its, you know, it has its splotches. It's definitely not for the, uh, let's say faint of heart, but like it's, it's doing something in a way that I don't see many other RPGs do. And when we talk about indie RPGs and the advances that have happened in indie RPGs, we talk about undertale and stuff like that, but least of the painful is right there with it. And, uh, I, I think, I think it's worth discussing because again, also Teeps is going to be talking in the chat here. I know Teeps is also a Lisa fan. Uh, I think everybody takes something from it in a way, uh, whether they, they they come away enjoying the experience or not, is an experience that will resonate with you over time. I think that's very important too. So, least of the painful. Shout outs to the indie RPG makers. I have to say, I would keep my arm and probably sacrifice one of you two. I'm sorry. You probably would. No, I would never. That wouldn't surprise I sacrifice me. Sacrifice someone. <laughs> if you're a leader, you you have to. You know, do what you have to do for your party, especially if, you know, if, if you sacrifice that for someone in your party, your it, it strengthens your bonds. They'll become more faithful to you, one would hope. But I, I don't know. I'm probably just talking a big game here. I, 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 I'd give my arm. I mean, I need my arm for video games. Okay. You take my arm. I can't play games anymore. Or right. Smash your face against a controller. It's fine. My well, last word. I mean, there are like, accessibility yeah, options right. <laughs> and everything, but I mean, from software, it wouldn't let me play Elden Ring anymore. It would suck. So that would kind of suck. Okay, I would have to sacrifice you. Sorry, I could run fast, so I, it's not going to be me. Fair enough. I Nadia is first hired, last fired kind of thing. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Look, it's my last words would be like. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. <laughs> yeah, no, but where this line's posted, Griffin from Berserk in the chats. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting there like, okay, I get it. <laughs> One of the funniest things I ever saw was uh, I watched Beard Bros on and off, and they were playing Oregon Trail. You know, the the game where it's Oregon Trail, but it's zombies or something. And they got to a point where Ted, the cameraman, like because everyone was named after the 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 cast, of course, and Ted, the cameraman. Uh, stole food while they were on the road or his character did rather and so they take him out to the side of the road and say all right ted any last words and he just pauses and says 
I'd do it again. (laughs) And our final pick is from the community. It's another Lunar game. Lunar Eternal Blue. We had multiple nominations in the wake of Eric's Lunar the Silver Star nomination. That series has a lot of love and we should talk about it more and possibly in a Pantheon episode. But Kerosene Blatt Bolsat writes, In light of Eric's choice, I would like to nominate Lunar 2 Eternal Blue. It takes all of the great elements of the original Lunar and polishes them to a sheen. The story is straightforward, but greater in scope and brings in both worlds in its fight against an existential evil. The characters are endearing and interesting and play off each other so well. Watching Lucia turn from goddess to weakling and then grow stronger throughout the game was exciting. The battle system is refined to emphasize position-based tactics and your character's different skills. It even has a playable epilogue that fleshes out the plot to bring closure to the series. It is a shame that it hasn't been brought to modern systems yet, It is a gem that defined the 2D JRPG experience to its purest form. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Kerosene Blast, Lunar Eternal Blue, and Lunar Silver Star on the Mm -hmm. list. What do you think, Mm -hmm. Eric? Yeah, yeah, I think I think both of them are are very deserving. Like I said last week, for me, Silver Star story is just a little bit extra. I like the world and the characters just a little bit more. It has more of that traditional fantasy quest feel, but everything the kerosene writes out here, I absolutely agree with. So, um, yeah, I mean, Lunar look more than, more than anything. I'm happy that we get to talk about not just one, but two Lunar games. And again, as kerosene points out, how are these games not ported forward yet? We got Grandia, we got final fantasy pixel remasters and we still don't have some lunar mm-hmm. Come on, who's got I the agree. lunar license that's what i want to know that's a good question who's holding on <laughs> to that thing drifting in limbo working design victor island somewhere out there mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. he wishes games. yeah if he if he had that license then we'd be getting a bunch of games that would still be having like be localized to have bill clinton jokes <laughs> we- <laughs> More 90s jokes, the better, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, that was our top 25 RPG remake list for this week. We added Super Robot Wars Z, Chrysalis, Lisa the Painful, and Lunar Eternal Blue. We'll be doing a full-blown episode, probably in May, actually, in which it is time to make the list. And now, Nadia, take us home. going to be an easy one i think for everyone here do you all remember book fairs oh yeah I do. oh yeah okay yeah so as far as i know they still have book fairs and i was just thinking back to them because they were such a special fun time just to recap in case anyone doesn't know uh what it, what would it be like for me is they would set up a fair a book fair in the library of my mm-hmm. school and you'd go mm-hmm. and you'd browse the books and uh buy whatever looked good and i had a secret shame I, I have talked in the past about Nintendo books, like the adventure books and stuff like that, that I used to... I have several of them. I used to collect them. And it was always kind of, like, shameful to buy them at the book fair because everyone would laugh at me and <laughs> just... They'd be like, really? why are you reading Nintendo books? People would make books? fun of you? Oh, absolutely. That's horrible. Well, the thing is, I couldn't blame them because they were terrible books, but I had to read something because there was nothing in the way of Nintendo, like supplemental Nintendo merch back then. So I'd be like, 
Yeah, they're terrible, but I kind of have to still read them because there's really nothing else out there. And it's the law. I have to read all the, Nintendo supplementary mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. This was, um, I think, the only thing you could get, at least at my book fairs, was those like Nintendo Choose Your Own Adventure books that were of definitely varying quality. I was actually thinking about them today, about how some of them were really terrible. And I had a couple of ones that were actually quite clever. Like there was one where Luigi had to rescue... Uh, Wendy Okupa at the request of Bowser and that was actually written quite well I still remember that one very well but a lot of them were definitely juvenile sort of things and the teacher would look at you and say why are you reading below your age rate and I'm like because it has Mario in it Mrs. whatever your name was why else what other reason do I need dare you even ask do you not see (laughs) Mario on this cover of this book there's your answer uh, there's your answer treasure I had to do my best, but I actually, I, I loved book fairs. I love to read so much. It's the one thing I actually cannot do because if I start reading, I fall in and I don't come out. I said something hilarious, didn't no, I? And I don't even chat. know why. <laughs> I said no. I don't become addicted to things and y'all lost it. No, it's no. the chat. <laughs> Dr. Horror in the chat said still waiting for the sudden turn in which a book fair ran over Nadia's cat or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay that that's really good but no this is not you know okay i do have one evil story attached to a book fair no that, <laughs> well i can't tell it because cats beat red she's gonna explode now <laughs> she'll die on camera and they'll be my fault <laughs> and dr horror's fault apparently <laughs> okay so growing up my mother um she was more of a stay-at-home mom she used to watch us and, and uh, that was actually far more common when i was very young that mothers would stay home and so they would volunteer to go into cat collapsed <laughs> cat's dead <laughs> do we have to call 911 <laughs> oh my god so my mother helped staff one of these book fairs, and so did the mother of my best friend at the time. And apparently, the, my best friend snitched to her mother about something. I, I was taking like my lunch and making props out of sandwiches and apples and stuff, and basically wasting my lunch because I was making my friends laugh, like making my sandwich talk or whatever. And so my friend told my mother, told her mother about this, who told my mom, do you know your 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 daughter is wasting food every day? And my mom was just like, <gasps> and I could not have any desserts in my school lunch for a week because my friend freaking rat on me because I like to make people laugh by making, I don't know, bashing apples against my head. But no, apparently that was a sin and I can't do that. So... <laughs> I got snitched on at a book fair, and also I got shamed for my choices in Nintendo books. I will say, though, I'll, put, I'll end this on a good note. My husband and I, we wrote the Mega Man Masters, uh, Robot Master Field Guide, and apparently that sells very well at school book fairs, so I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, keep purchasing our stuff, you, little You got dudes. your revenge on the book fairs by making money off of them. It all came back <laughs> around. <laughs> and that's my story. Oh, God. I loved book fairs back in the day. They were wonderful. I would get a lot of Goosebumps books, as I recalled, and stuff like Scary Stories to mm-hmm. Tell in the Dark. Oh, mm-hmm. oh Scary Stories is great. Yeah. Yeah. I love Scary Stories. They were written I, really well. I was big into like either the the big guidebooks that just had a ton of info and pictures in them on various things. Like I had a World War II one at one point, and I had like a Star Wars one at one point and stuff like that. 
Uh, and then I also love Choose Your Own Adventure books, which oh, probably, Choose Your Own Adventure was metal. probably why yeah. I like the games I like now. Like I love Choose Your Own Adventure, like all the fantasy ones. And I like the ones where there were consequences. All right. None of this like, oh, you messed up the quest. Go back to the page. I was like, no, I want I my, my night to die. <laughs> rereading UFO 5440 uh, inside UFO 5440 which is a really, really messed up but incredible sci-fi choose-your-own-adventure that's written way beyond anything like ever written for kids, practically. And that was the one that was especially special because there was a hidden ending you could not find unless you broke the rules and wrote, and like read the book straight through to find... The whole point of the, ga- of the game, quote-unquote, was you are kidnapped by um, aliens to be taken to a, a zoo on their planet, and they're looking on the way for a place called Utopia. And you cannot find Utopia unless you look for it specifically in the book. You can't find a path that takes you there. You have to break the rules. And that was really cool. And it had some of the most grisly deaths in any sort of choose your own adventure book. And that's what counted. You had to have the really grisly deaths. I mean, one of the most, one of the darkest things I could think of that ever happened in one of those books was uh, when you're kidnapped, of course, you want to get out as your initial reaction is to panic. So you, one of your choices is, hey, you can pretend you're insane and they'll maybe they'll let you go because you're not a good specimen. So you can actually opt to go around saying, I am Napoleon, I'm Napoleon, you know, whatever, whatever. And instead of like freeing you, the uh, space people will capture you and experiment on you because you're an unusual specimen and you're stuck like that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And it's just oh, full of stuff no like that. I have no mouth and I must scream. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So choose your own adventure books were great, but if it was like, it was probably like the same thing for you, Eric, where the teachers would say, that's not a real book. You can't read that. You can't do that for a book report. That was a, that was disappointing. That started out that way. And then by like fifth grade, I was reading books that were too advanced for the book fair. Cause I did, I read Harry Potter around like fourth grade and that kind of like Aww, opened baby. my eyes I, I it opened my eyes up to like longer books and then I just kept wanting to read more and more longer fiction books. And so I started reading the golden compass series and I started reading all this different stuff by like sixth grade. I was reading a clockwork orange, which is not the oh, age God. at which someone should read a clockwork. Orange. Don't do that. Uh, seventh grade. I was reading 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. Um, I got there. I think like seventh, grade was when I did my summer of banned books. So I decided to read every book that my library had banned. So I read like Catcher in the Rye in 1984 and stuff like that. Uh, So I was like, by the time we were into like middle school book fairs, it was already like they were lining up all these nonsense books and magazines and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm just going to keep reading like these big. I'm an adult histories. Yeah. So. Why would you ban Catcher in the Rye? It's so milquetoast. Because he talks to a prostitute for a very long time. Uh, oh, God and, forbid. Yeah, and then there there's some other like darker themes in there that I won't go into, but like it's more themes than actual content. Uh, right, I see what you mean. But by the time we got to high school, they were kind of like lifting some of that stuff, and like my AP English teacher was big on letting us read stuff that was like legit. So uh, that that was a good time. I enjoyed Catcher in the Rye for what it was. So the 1920s, whatever. It's about a depressed kid. I appreciate it more for what it was. There is a good line in yeah. there about how if you could have like all the time in the world, you'd never be able to erase all the fuck yous that have been written on the walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Catching the Rye, kind of like Gatsby, feels like a book that you need to read to like gain a baseline level of understanding literature. But then also like, I love the great Gatsby, but it is very much like we're going to learn what symbolism is today, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but what does the green light mean? 
I love Moby Dick because it's just a, a book about a man who really hates a whale and nothing else. <laughs> I learned about Star Trek too because of uh, I learned about Moby Dick because of Star Trek too. From mm-hmm. hell's oh, heart, cool. I stab at thee. Stab at thee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. And that's a great note I to end this talk. podcast on. <laughs> yep, I agree. <laughs> Yep, that's the end of this week's episode of Axe of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at CMOOSI, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Send me an email at cat at bloodgodpod.com if you have an email that you want to read on the show we might do a mailbag or something like that we have a patreon patreon.com slash pod where all of these lovely people who are watching us right now and completely watch uh eric and i just be completely broken it's amazing <laughs> it was a great moment in actual the blood god history thank you so much to teats azixa beware the slimes darren deer dr horror ruka spirus vic boss and zoo batman for joining us. We love having you on the show and every episode is a blast. We're heading on to the post show. We're going to be talking a lot more. I'm sure we have a lot to cover for sure. We managed to get into a long conversation about literature and whatnot. We'll be back next week as always for more Acts of the Blood God adventures, talking about all the RPGs that we love. I think we're going to get Jeff Green on the show next week. We're going to talk about bring back the PC RPG quest. Can't wait. But until then, for Eric, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. Thank you.